As many of us are currently confined at home in many places of the world, and while we keep in our minds and in our hearts those who have no choice but to be at risk from the ongoing worldwide pandemic, because there are doctors, nurses, cashiers, workers, homeless, incarcerated, or any other precarious situation, we wanted to provide you with a daily podcast to use this time to reflect and organizing without talking about the pandemic itself. There might be already enough about it. The concept is very simple. Every day we ask one person the same question. What is for you a moment of true decolonization? The answer can be a historical moment or something they witnessed, something heroic and grandiose, or rather discreet and mundane. A durable blow to the structures of colonialism or a short instance of liberation. We thank you for listening and wish you and your loved ones the very best wherever you are. Today, in episode 29, our guest is Minya Biabiani, a visual artist based in Mexico City and Guadeloupe. I want to start off by thanking Minya for agreeing to talk to us on short notice and under such conditions. Minya is in Guadeloupe right now, and with time difference, we agreed to record this conversation in separate parts. So Minya, in your practice, you deconstruct narratives linked with colonial presence and heritage in the Guadeloupean territories. In 2016, you initiated the artistic and pedagogical collective project Semillero Caribe, a translation group of artists in Mexico. You have also initiated the ongoing project Duku, that explores pedagogical decolonial practices in relation to the body and the concepts of Caribbean authors. The first iteration of that workshop took place in Colombia. As you will discuss later, the production and circulation of Caribbean-specific pedagogical material was one of the challenges during the Semilleros. But it raised questions around the politics of translation and transmission within the African diaspora in the Caribbean and the Americas. When reading Edouard Iglissant's work, for instance, what choices can we make when it comes to translate words and context, especially when the group of translators gathers individuals from different Caribbean islands with their own similar yet really different sets of colonial and racial histories? I was also fascinated by how the Mexican location of the project complicated the translation. What's the meaning of such a gesture in the, a country that has been denying and hiding the presence of Afro-Mexican and discriminates against other black Caribbean migrants, especially those of Haitian descent? After discussing with you, you agreed to tell us more about this project and your on your take on how exploring Caribbean literature, even when highly conceptual, helps us to rethink both emancipatory pedagogies and the body of the colonized. So Minya, thank you again for agreeing to talk to us. Could you tell us more about how the Semilleros and Project Duku became a true moment of decolonization for you? Hello to the listeners of The Phenomenalist. The moment I want to share with you today is a performance that happened in Cali, in Colombia, two years ago, 
during the last day of a session of the pedagogical project, the Semillero Duku. Um, the word Duku means phase of moon in Creole, and for me, it implies that idea of doing something at the right time because you put seeds or you cut trees during the right phase of the moon, during the right duku. So that was the idea I wanted to work with when I made that project. And uh, to give you a bit of context, duku is the second project I initiate that focused on body and concept and literature of Caribbean authors and it's um, the little sister of a first project that was collectively made that was called the Semillero Caribe in 2016 and the Semillero Caribe was made thanks to two other artists and friends that are Madeline Jimenez from Dominican Republic and Ulrich Lopez from Puerto Rico and so the Semillero Caribe was that first moment for me um, when I started to think about body as a learning tool. Semillero in, in Spanish means seedbed and we choose to call our sharing moment semillero and not seminario, not seminar because we did not want to use an academic term and so the idea itself of building that sharing moment came to me when I was talking with Mexican friends and discussing about the context, the political situation, the Mexican racism and I kept referring to Edouard Glissant, the Martinican philosopher. And when I was looking on the internet, I could not find anything, not anything, but I, many of his texts were not translated in Spanish at that time. So, and I was surprised by that. So I was like, okay, there is a need. Like, I, I really wanted to share that um, philosophy and, and the poetics of Glissant with my friends, so I started to think of a moment to do that. And then I invited Malin and Ulrich and we decided not to, we decided to open up the Semillero with other authors like Antonio Benitez Rojo, Camau Brathwaite, Fanon, and to base the Semillero on concepts like opacity, the relation, the chaos, um, Caribbean orality and so as we were in Mexico City we built that project thinking comparing you know, where we are and where we came from and uh, the first difference that popped into our mind and that we took as a starting point was the relation with body so we started to think about how can we embody those concepts how to create another way to approach them. And so we experiment with a group of people twice a week for a month in the Crater Invertido, which is an art activi activist and artistic space in Mexico City. And we shape those sessions uh, to share concepts born within this specific context that is the Caribbean area. 
And uh, we made four publications that we use as support for the sessions themselves. And in those publications, we translated text in Spanish, English, and French. Most of them were not existing in those three languages. And yeah. so that was the first big important step for me. And uh, that first experimentation stopped because we had different priorities as artists traveling, etc. But maybe now another step is coming. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, to continue what I want to share with you today, um, after the Semillero Caribe, I really wanted to continue that exploration of what I understood as something pedagogical, no? as linked with what is learning in the meaning of what actually happens when somebody learns. What I mean is um, what is needed to change a previous understanding of something. What are the steps that are allowing that process and the integration of a new information to your way of relating to the world. And education has been instrumentalized to manipulate people you know, in, in, in Occidental education system. Learning has been instrumentalized. So how can we rebuild learning? How can we gain autonomy there and to make it a strength again? I'm a visual artist, but I have inherited that concern from my family, especially my mom, that, that was a, a history and geography teacher. My dad was a pedagogical inspector. And I'm from Guadeloupe, no? So Guadeloupe is a Caribbean island that belongs to France until today, and that has never been independent. Um, Guadeloupe has known a a constant French assimilation policy since the European invasion of that part of the world. So I grew up with that questioning very alive in me. And um, my experience is that there is a tension in Guadeloupean society because of that control and economical dependency situation. Their relation with historical heritage isn't clear. The relation with um, selfness, <laughs> with power, isn't clear. Um, you know, when, when you consider that many things that are impacting your life are actually decided 6,000 kilometers away without considering where you actually are. And of course, Guadeloupean people had, they found ways to, to resist, no? to fight back. We can think of the Maroon, we can think of Groca, which is a traditional um, dance and music in Guadeloupe. Uh, we can think of the Mass Carnival, but I did not grow up in those traditional resisting spheres. So... For me, to question that relation between pedagogy and alienation is a way to regain autonomy in thinking and um, to value that possibility to learn to know ourselves with our own tools. 
answer those texts of the publication of the Semillero Caribe were really also playing a role of linking the Caribbean because in Guadeloupe we know much better the French Caribbean authors. Um, Dominican Republic, for my, for example, with Madeleine, it was more Spanish, no? And and with Ulrich uh, from Puerto Rico, it was Spanish and English. So we decided to work with those three languages because we also, the three of us, had different um, access to the theory of the Caribbean. So two years after the Semillero Caribe with Madeline and Ulrich in Mexico, I was invited by Yolanda Choice. She's a curator based in Cali in Colombia. And so I was invited to be part of her project, Topicos Entre Tropicos, Topics Between Tropics in 2018. And uh, since the very beginning, Yolanda and I, we decided to work with a non-mixed group of women of Cali for a week and to use text of female authors no? I, as, as starting points. So we chose text of Marie Grueso and Noelia Mosquera that are both black authors from the Choco. And for the Caribbean, we use text of Jamaica Kincaid of Antigua and Nefta Poetry of Guadeloupe. We wanted to create a conversation within literature of the Afro-descendant diaspora between the Caribbean and the Afro-Colombian. But when we did the Semiro Caribe, I was living in Mexico City, so uh, my body was involved in that, in that place, no? But I didn't know Cali. I didn't know the relation people have in Cali. And I thought it was a very, very different posture to come without having that experience, experience myself. So, um, for the sessions of the Semiero Duku in, in Cali, I invited local searchers to each session to propose an exercise within the session. No? So I was leading, but then there, I, I gave space to, to very different um, searchers. So for example, um, Carolina Shari came. She's an artist and she decided to work with the voice. The dancer Angelica Nieto worked with the figure of the mangrove. We also invited the writer Jenny Valencia to talk about her reading of the city and its interaction with salsa and santeria. And um, also we invited Erika Flores in collaboration with the dancer Andrea Bonilla and they to share with, with us their ongoing investigation on the line. And so they are all based in Cali. And all during the, the Semillero Duku, we discovered text of the writer Otilia Caracas, Del Valle del Cauca, and that was an incredible gift to, to have her with us, with us. 
And so I reshaped the relation with the body and the concepts that we were using in the Semiero Caribe. And I included what I called active images to work with. So um, we, we, we were using the mangrove, the water and the trace as images but actually each image was linked with a concept. So we actually approached the image of the water with the concept of opacity, the image of the mangrove with the concept of the relation, and the image of the trace with the concept of the big D. And as the big D is a concept taught by Lena Blue, which is a, a Guadeloupean choreographer, and it's about thinking imbalance the new way to walk to to go through things to make it short it's a bit more complex than that but um but for me like one of the thinking about pedagogy if you're thinking about what is the learning process one of the most um helping thinkers in that exploration was francisco varela and his understanding of the learning process as a succession of steps of what could be translated as awareness in English, I think, prise de conscience in French. So um, to understand that awareness as the matter of learning. But what is fantastic is that he connects that change of awareness with emotions, so with the body. And for the Semiero Duku, I was more focused on creating emotions among the group and the conditions for those emotions to be welcome and um, to, be, to be recognized on the moment or, or later. The first exercise we decided to make in the Semiero Duku was to ask the participant to make two lines and to face each other for a very long time. They didn't know even their names, they had no presentations before, but they, ha they had to, to, to write a text, to think about that text as a gift to the other person. And that was a very intriguing and strong moment because from that moment, the group was actually born with an energy and, and, and autonomy without even having a clear objective because they didn't know where I wanted to lead them. But it was about feeling. And that's where learning really occurs. When we get aware of something, when we can change our perspective on what we know, we can change our belief. And there is always an emotion that comes with it. No? So when we modify our thoughts, our action, our relation to the rest, emotion is related to that. And when you are in an assimilation context, belief is often inherited and imposed. And that's also why learning is so political, 
It's because it's related with the ability to considerate your own needs and your own search of autonomy to regain that space. And that we can talk about whatever, meditation, we can talk about mathematics, we can talk about running. Any learning process involves that. And so um, after four days together with that group of incredible women, we decided to propose a conclusion to the semillero. And uh, they decided to make a performance to a public they will, they would invite themselves. I think about 15 people came, something like that. And in a few hours in the morning, they decided to mobilize what they wanted from the semillero and to propose it to the public. And of course, the public didn't know what, what it was coming to. And so I was part of the performance, not guiding it, but part of it. And in that moment where we invited people to repeat one of the exercises of Carolina Chari with the voice, um, it was an exercise when we composed sound and we composed a, um, a rhythm of a new group. At that moment, I was fascinated to see how the woman of the group, how the participant of the week has taken autonomy and empowered themselves deciding how they wanted to share that exercise with other bodies by convoking other bodies. And um, that was very powerful for me. Yeah, I really, I really thank them for their trust and for our collective power in action at that moment. Thank you to the Funambulist team, to Caroline, and for giving me the opportunity to share. That's all for today. Find us tomorrow again for a new episode as part of this daily podcast series. And if you're a subscriber to The Finalist, remember that you have access to every single article we published in the past in their online version on our website. Thank you very much and take care.